feels like, but he has a very strong position. That's obvious. In the case of Jake Ma, the question is, is that bad? I mean, I better give my power to one extremely capable, extremely smart, extremely driven guy than to a bunch of douchebags. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. Niemenhau guys and welcome to the next episode of the Dragonfolio China podcast. My name is Eric and today I want to talk about the most valuable unicorn in the world and its success story. While the entire world is speaking non-stop of Corona and the US election, I keep my eyes open, open for opportunities. And one of the largest opportunities ahead is a Chinese fintech company that will soon be more valuable than any bank in the world probably and even has the potential to overthrow the two top players Visa and MasterCard from the throne in the long term. I'm talking about a subsidiary of Alibaba called and financial and like the little animal and this company is fighting for its IPO um, this month. For those who absolutely don't know what an IPO is, an IPO is simply a initial public offer of your of your shares. So it's a stock market launch where shares of a company are sold to the stock market for the very first time. And why do I mention this? Well, and is trying to raise around 35 billion worth of shares from their investors. And well, that still might not say anything, but um, this would overall put the market value of this company, the market capitalization to 250 billion US dollars. And that again would lead to the largest IPO in history. So this stock market launch would be larger than anything else we have seen so far, larger than Facebook, larger than Visa, and even larger than the world's largest IPO so far from Saudi Aramco last year. This is a really big thing. And originally emerged uh, primarily from the payment app Alipay. Alipay really picked up speed around 2011, thanks to the QR codes, thanks to mobile payment and the uh, rapidly growing e-commerce in China. The company was set up much earlier in, I think it was 2004, to build basically trust and to connect buyers and vendors on Alibaba's platform because there wasn't anything really um, that could be used before that for payment in, in China. They didn't have a um, credit card system that was commonly used and so um, they kind of leapfrogged this and set up this platform. A few months ago, I published a very interesting podcast episode about the subject, which is more dealing with a with the Chinese environment about cash or the cashless China and how they how they manage to to pay and what is what is essentially different from the West. I think the episode is called "Cash is No Longer King in China." If you're interested in, in this topic, you might want to check it out. But um, for today, let's just summarize that there are two apps in China that are mostly used for online payment and mobile payment. 
Uh, one is WeChat from Tencent and the other one is Alipay who accounts for more than half of all transactions in China. And just to give you an idea, the transaction volume is 25 times higher than PayPal as I speak. Um, so you cannot really compare Alipay actually to any other app. We often like to make comparisons say, oh, so what is the Alipay of, of the West? Like we say, uh, we have uh, Baidu and Google, for instance. And in this case, there is no real Western complement because, um, well, you have, would have to probably combine at least five apps to get all the functionalities that Alipay offers. And uh, why is Alipay already so valuable? Well, of course, um, it's a lot about market data because the transactions, um, at least uh, in private use, are, for instance, for free. But, of course, Alipay knows a lot about uh, about its customers. And I know that some people see it critically, but at the end, it gives you a lot of um, power and you can, yeah, you can address consumer needs extremely well and very directly. And that is where the true value lies. But is it really worth a quarter trillion US dollars, just this payment app? No, but, and it's of course more than just a payment provider or a P2P broker. And does not only host the Alipay platform, but it is also the largest provider of online consumer credits. It gives business loans, especially for those um, smaller business who might be ignored by banks and who want to ramp up business and need some money. I believe they don't have the cheapest credits, but they make them available. And that's a huge advantage for a lot of people and businesses in China. And it's also a <clears throat> distributor of investment and insurance products. And this entire area, the insurance and, and funds, is, is a huge market, rapidly growing. I think it's the fastest growing market in, in, um, of, of all these services that Ant offers right now. And besides that, you have, of course, wealth and asset management in general. So you can manage all your stuff in just one app. You, you pay your bills, you do your investment, you buy your insurance, um, you, you might book your, your vacation. So you can do everything there. And it's, it's, it's super convenient for, for consumers. And this is where the value at the end is. I believe that Ant Financial is not a super bank. It is just a, it's an example of a platform that knows how to use the huge potential of the fintech supermarket. And in this market, most of the previous conventional service providers, namely banks, will no longer play a major role. Of course, in China, banks are still super powerful. This is going to take some time and, um, and is still facing a lot of competition from them. But they're also scared, scared by Ant because there are a lot of areas where Ant will dominate the fintech world, but it's not a bank at the end. It's, it's, it's much more. It's a platform that touches all aspects of financial life and partly at lower price points and way more convenient. And this is why Ant um, is such a such a yeah, powerful application or it's a, yeah, such a powerful brand at the end. A lot of developments in the fintech world are out of our imagination today. 
just like mobile payment was inconceivable 20 years ago. So a lot of things that happen in AND and that they gonna trigger and develop are, yeah, quite unknown, at least for people like us. Um, the world and the fintech world is shaped by entrepreneurs and by the smart hats of such companies. And speaking of, there's one person that I have to mention when it comes to AND um, and uh, the Alibaba universe, and that is the most important person still, and that's, uh, of course, Jack Ma. Jack Ma is the retired CEO of um, Alibaba. Today, he has a more representative and inspirational function <clears throat> for the company, but he's still very important. Right now, he's he's traveling and, and pitching investors and telling telling the big fish, as I call them, um, who want to invest in an in, ant uh, about your opportunities, um, because there's, of course, some pre-marketing and you want to be sure that you have some, let's say, not just large investors, but some investors that you want to have on board. And so um, that's uh, one job of Jack Maher these days. He personally still controls just over 50% of ant through uh, yeah two investment partnerships he has in China. And uh, yeah, again, he has no official role in the company, but he has, for instance, the veto power, um over any major decision that is made so he's still um yeah obviously very powerful in this in the setup alibaba itself is also a investor through their subsidiaries they hold around 33 percent of and and so alibaba and mar together already hold over 80 percent of the shares of this company and now with the company going public the remaining shares or some of the remaining shares are made available for sale and that is around 10%. So that is what is um, yeah, going to happen very soon with the IPO. Um, okay, let's uh, focus a bit on maybe some limitations and risks. Um, is there competition? Yeah, of course, there's competition, as I said, Tencent in the payment field. And in insurance, you have, for instance, Ping An, one of the largest companies in China that most people here will not know, probably, uh, listed in Hong Kong, a large, large company doing very well as, as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, competition in the sector is quite normal and, and is still very dominating. And so I don't see that the, the, the space is too small. So let's focus maybe a bit more on governmental regulations because this is where a lot of people are afraid anyways in China and I think in this sector yes there's a good reason uh, to be um, at least concerned and, and do some research and think about because we all know that in China only very few business can survive without the blessing of the government um, you have to play by the rules and um, Alibaba and now Ant they always did so in this particular case fintech it's a very sensitive area so they have been for instance increasing regulations uh, recently china wants to control debt they want to reduce fraud and um, they also already um, kind of announced that one of the key battles in the new five-year plan that china is going to announce um, in a very in a few weeks one of the major focus is going to be to prevent systematic financial risk. So how can maybe AND 
lead to a financial risk. Um, for instance, if you can just simply withdraw all your money from Ant, if all people could do that, and then Ant could easily crash the entire financial system, right? So there are certain measurements that already have been taken. So there have been caps to investment and to withdraw money because that is something that China wants to avoid under any circumstances. And so I don't see the regulation as a negative thing. Regulation, I think, is good if it's done properly and it's necessary. We cannot live without any regulations. And so, yeah. I think um, as far as the government gives enough um, latitude to, to um, Alibaba, and that's what I do, because at the end, you have commitment from the government for these things. And so, and um, can actually operate quite freely more than we often think. Another risk could, of course, be that you say, hold on, Jack Mark controls over half of the company, so he can make all the decisions. Well, of course, he cannot make all decisions just as he feels like, but he has a very strong position. That's obvious. In the case of Jake Ma, the question is, is that bad? I mean, I better give my power to one extremely capable, extremely smart, extremely driven guy than to a bunch of douchebags. So I don't see it as a risk. But of course, if you consider an investment, you have to know about this. And the next point, and I'm now going more into thoughts about a possible investment, the question is, might Ant be totally overpriced? It is not uncommon that such unicorns, valuable startups, when they have the IPO, they are extremely expensive because they're sort of hyped, there's a lot of interest, but it doesn't really reflect the actual value. A good example was Uber. Uh, was maybe Xiaomi some years ago. The big money was actually made prior to the IPO. A lot of people were already invested, but it was a private health company. And then what happened next is there was the IPO and a lot of people cashed out. So an IPO often is also a perfect exit. And it's actually, in a lot of cases, it takes place to ensure people can exit, right? They can finally make make money and not just have the stocks. So this is a certain risk. But in the case of Ant, I don't see this as, as a very huge risk. So I don't think that the price, like maybe in the case of Xiaomi, will drop so significantly because Ant has absolutely promising long-run prospects and has very powerful large investors. They have, for instance, state funds from Singapore, funds from China. They are not gamblers. They're not buying the shares tomorrow and drop out next week. Of course, there are going to be a lot of speculators. That is quite normal. But with such a market cap, I don't think that we see a extremely volatile, maybe the first days, but I don't think that's going to be absolutely crazy and that um, we're going to see a absolute hype that is not justified. Because I also checked the, um, the financial figures and what we know right now. And then you see that this price of 250 billion US dollars is quite reasonable based on what we know and based on other benchmarks. 
um, if I, for instance, compare it with Alibaba or Tencent, then the price probably going to be okay. The IPO seems okay from a financial and value perspective. So what are the next steps exactly? Well, the IPO, and that's very interesting, is only going to take place in Greater China and is aiming for a dual listing of its shares in Hong Kong and Shanghai. And that is quite new. In the past, most tech companies from China were listed in New York. They had their first listing in New York. Why? Well, you have more accessibility to large investors. New York is the largest stock market by far. And of course, they are also better regulated. There's more transparency. There's more certainty in terms of legal rights. And so when a lot of companies had their stock market launch, they chose New York in the past. Still happens today, a lot of Chinese companies get listed in New York. That's possible. There are some limitations to this. So China, of course, is, um, has some, some, took some measurements. So you cannot just freely control the companies, but technically they are listed in New York. And now they bypass the West for the first time, actually, in, in at least in the past years. So there's a, there's some change and there are a couple of reasons for this. First of all, China is more advanced and regulated. They have, for instance, a NASDAQ-like um, stock board in Shanghai, previously set up. They have, of course, better regulations. They have more trust. Hong Kong itself is a large and very safe stock market. This already actually for years, but there's now even better accessibility for Chinese investors. And so for companies like Ant, it is more attractive to do the IPOs in back home. Yeah. And of course, there's a, there's a symbolic value behind this as well. If you have such a company and you can list it in domestic market, that's of course different than from giving it away, so to speak, right? So, of course, there are different components to that, different aspects. Um, we already saw a trend lately that some companies had a um, second listing. So they were listed in the US and then they fight for a second listing in Hong Kong. Definitely, there is some political aspect that is related to that, no doubt, right? But it also shows that there's more confidence in the Chinese market, both from an investment point. So you not just have these, like in the past, extremely volatile markets with a lot of speculation, but you also have regulations that are in place. You have stock markets that are way, way more professional than they used to be 20 or 30 years ago. To list and in China 30 years ago, especially in Shanghai, would be highly risky. I don't think that they would consider it, even in the setup right now that we have a lot of tensions and they would not have done this. And so this is really, really new and shows also the confidence that these companies have in the Chinese market. Um, so it's a dual listing between Shanghai and Hong Kong and Shanghai already um, approved. Basically, they granted their approval, I think, last month. So now they just wait for the green light from Hong Kong, from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. 
And then the pre-marketing, meaning selling to the big fishes based on their bids and offers is going to happen very soon. It could still happen actually this month, October 2020. Okay, what does it all mean for you? Well, frankly speaking, you might never pay directly with Alipay in your life. You might also never use any application of AND in your life. At least that's what I predict. Alipay and AND are made for Chinese at the end. However, of course, AND is expanding in other markets. In Southeast Asia, definitely. Perhaps in India. And I think they also try to get access to Western markets in the long term, if possible, of course. They will not use their own brand. They will probably rather give their technical and operational expertise and invest in startups. They're already doing this for some time. And of course, you don't know how this exactly happened. But and and financial is another great success story of China. The inventor of paper money, which is China, is also one of the pioneers in the digital age, especially now in this fintech world. Right now, as I speak, the top three unicorns, the most valuable startups in the world are all from China. That has never been seen before. So Ant Financial, ByteDance, which owns TikTok, and Didi, which is basically the Uber of China, if you want so. So a ride-hailing company. They are the most valuable startups in the world. And that shows a lot. Not just about China's power and stuff. It shows that the innovative strength in China is enormous these days. That they really are more than just a large-sized nation and a producer of goods. And the question is, do you want to be part of this? The good news is, it is possible. It is possible actually for almost every one of us to be part. Despite the listing location in China, people can actually buy the stocks probably very soon. Either you have directly access to Hong Kong and China. Um, almost nobody of us has access to the Shanghai stock market. But people like me, we can buy stocks in Hong Kong. And even if you can't, um, a lot of brokers in America and Europe will offer their shares. So, of course, you have to check with your broker. But it is possible when the official trading begins, a lot of brokers are going to offer the shares. So they basically convert them and you can invest in them and you can be an investor of this company. The easiest way, if you don't feel comfortable investing in this unicorn you can, of course, also buy Alibaba. As I said, Alibaba holds 30% of AND. So you make an indirect investment, which is also very good. And of course, Alibaba is way more diversified. So if you say, hey, I want to be part of it, but maybe not in this niche. I want to be invested in a broader sense. Then Alibaba might you might be your pick. Um, personally, of course, I'm going to invest for sure. The point in time is not certain yet because it depends a bit on the circumstances when I get access personally to the sh shares. Um, if they hype too much, if they really spike right after the beginning, I might wait a bit. But my personal attitude is this. If I make a decision in life, once I made a decision, I just go for it. And in this case, it's the same. I'm going to invest in this company. And at the end, 
whether I buy them a bit cheaper or more expensive, it doesn't matter. Because, first of all, no one is to predict what happens exactly. Whether I buy cheap or expensive, at the end, is a very subjective measure, a feeling. And the point is, I'm convinced of this company. And so, I'm sure that within the next five years, the value for me is going to more than double. So it doesn't really matter at the end whether I bought them 20 or 30% cheaper. No, absolutely not. I was also one of the early investors of Xiaomi. I bought them right after the IPO. And the stock price, as, as you can see, was doing terrible. Really terrible. But did I really care? No. And in the meantime, my investment has also almost doubled in two years' time. And this is just the beginning. And the same is going to happen to end. So it's more about the decision itself and the conviction. But then you can go for it. Okay, that's it for today. Of course, this episode had a higher focus on investment a bit. But I think this is just a, yeah, it's a great event. We probably can tell I'm quite excited about it. Not everyone might um, yeah, be that enthusiastic. But I think it's interesting that we have the chance not just to be witnesses of China's growth of certain companies, but we can also participate actively. First, as I say, understand, adopt, and then benefit. One disclaimer, though, none of the things I said today is meant to be a personal investment advice or a recommendation to make stock purchases or for anything else that is investment related. You're responsible for your decisions, for your investments. If you're interested in this company, do your research, make your own decisions and be responsible for it. Of course, I'm happy to exchange any thoughts and um, I'm looking forward to your comments and um, maybe you are one of the early investors of Ant as well. Who knows? Thanks for listening to the Dragonfolio China podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net.